All right. Well, as usual, we've got to let uh, let the folks come into the room here this evening. Um, we've got a very good guest with us this evening, David Canals from Oregon. Um, there's some people people coming in. Here they come. All right. How's everybody doing this evening? Um, as usual, we'll we'll try to do uh, we'll try to do the Q and A through the chat, and um, you know if uh, if we want to go into some detail on something with David, uh, raise your hand. Rachel will unmute you, and then uh, you can actually talk to David. So we'll see what happens. But um, again, I, I need to uh, I want to I want to kick this off by by thanking so many people on our on our end i've got um, my beautiful daughter rachel who's behind the scenes uh, she runs the show here so uh, she does a great job i've got uh, my beautiful wife carol they they help all the time on the farm uh, wonderful son-in-law eric is on the farm uh, andy is on the farm i've got another beautiful daughter jessica and her husband is Michael and they're on their family farm. Um, life is good. It couldn't get it couldn't get much better. So, um, got a nephew Aaron. All these folks are are helping out um, with everything that we do. You're right, Claudia. We're very. I've, I've I've been blessed my whole life. Everything, it's just amazing. Everything that's gone on, uh, God has guided me right right where He wants me to go. So. Um, we're in for a great evening this evening. We've got David Canals from Oregon. Uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself and, and talk a little bit. David, give us that that two minute you know background of what you've done, how you've gotten to where you are, and then we'll we'll get we'll dig in. Yeah, thanks, Rick. I uh, really appreciate you allowing me the chance to come on your show. Um, been a big fan of yours personally for a number of years, and uh, so when you when I heard that you were having a podcast and that I was invited, I, I was really excited. So again, thank you. Thanks for having me on here. This is great. Um, so yeah, for those of you that don't know me, my name is David Knaus. I'm the president and founder of Apical Crop Science. Uh, we're a lab based in ag agronomy firm in Oregon. And our primary thing that we're known for is our form of plant sap analysis. However, my personal background is as a farmer teacher and consultant of organic and regenerative agriculture for the past 20 years. I farmed uh, independently for a number of years. I did farm management on large-scale organic vegetable operations and tree fruit operations, and I taught college for 10 years as well in a variety of different capacities for horticulture and sustainable agriculture. In 2017, um, with the help of some friends, I launched apical crop science as a vehicle and opportunity for um, for farmers and growers and other agronomists to level up their game in mm -hmm. organic and regenerative techniques and technology. So um, since about 2013, we've been getting into the plant sap analysis and really hardcore into just general agronomic analytics. So soil, plant, water analysis of minerals, and that really has allowed some uh, incredible results. And so, um, yeah, so we've been in business uh, running plant and soil analysis out here since uh, since 2017. Um, but prior to that, like I said, I've, I've done 
a lot of our work in organic and regenerative for a number of years before that. So. No, it's awesome. That's, this, is all, this is going to be fun tonight because we're going to go into what I like to talk about. And David's good. I met David a couple of years ago and I've seen him talk a couple, two or three times at different, different conferences. And man, you are loaded with knowledge and this, this is going to be fun. Um, hey, hey, Rachel, if you're still there, please. Dave, what's the, um, what's the website? Rachel can type it in, please. Yeah, so our website is www.apical-ag.com. So it's A-P-I-C-A-L-Ag.com. Perfect. There you go. There you go. Perfect, Rachel. Thank you. That's how you can get a hold of David when, when we're done here this evening. Um, first of all, I like the name. It's very creative, so I like that. Um, all right, Dave, we got we can go so many different directions here, but I want to start a little slow and then let's let's move a little deeper and faster. Okay, I'm obviously you're not just uh, dealing with folks in Oregon. You're going to deal with folks probably around the world. I'm guessing, right? You're consulting. Yeah. So uh, currently, I believe uh, so. We are we do import plant and soil samples from uh, all over the country, but we also import plant samples from a number of different countries outside of the world. And so we deal currently with Canada, Mexico, a bunch of different countries in South America, some folks in Europe and, and Africa have even started sending us uh, leaf samples recently. So, so yeah, awesome. we're, we're in a wide range of crops, over 50 and counting crops at least, so. That's, that's great. Okay, so so Dave, I, I go to your website, I look you up, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a traditional type farmer, and I want to do something different, you know? I want to get started down this regenerative path. How do you, how do you, how do you start someone from, from ground zero? What do you do? Well, you know, it really depends on what time of the year, I think, um, that you make that choice uh, and, and what crop you're in um, as to, you know, the situation. Um, and what would be the first initial opportunity. So okay. uh, we see the transition and the shift to organic and, uh, organic and regenerative techniques and technology as a massive opportunity for, for growers of all shapes and sizes, right? Yeah. And so um, say you're in the middle of, uh, I don't know, say a heat, a heat spell and with drought and so on and so forth, there's regenerative and organic uh, technologies and techniques that are specifically designed and formulated to deal with those situations, right? So, so to, you know, say you're in a crop in the Midwest that, where you're having issues with, um, you know, heat or osmotic stress or, you know, fertilizer release without water, et cetera, you know, there's organic techniques that, that address those things. And what would that be to give us one? Yeah, so um, there's there's specific uh, microbes, definitely, that uh, are, designed for drought type soils. There's also, as you know, uh, a lot of benefits to soil carbon, right? And, and carbon storage and how much that, uh, how much water that you can store within soil carbon. Uh, so that would be a second one. Um, another little bit more obscure one is the properties of uh, silicon and uh, silicon based soil applications. Those actually can store a significant amount of water as well. So, but what a lot of people don't, um, uh, necessarily consider sometimes within these, these sorts of, hey, do you want to do something new is they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? And so within the growers that, that come to us, we'll oftentimes say, well, you know, we'll, we'll, 
there may be two or three opportunities that you could stack on top of one another that would all be synergistic and provide a magnified response. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's hang on just for a second. So let's stay right here with this, this drought uh, talk for a minute. Cause there seems to be, I don't, I don't know if drought's the right word, but there's a lot of areas that are probably short of water, uh, use some more water. So are, are the, the, the ideas that you would have, the biology that you would want to implement into the system, can we foliar feed these or do these need to be, um, uh, you know, knifed into the soil or at least onto the soil? So microbes are definitely going to be most active in the soil. However, there's, uh, like I mentioned, silicon um, as an as a input. The silicon inputs will go directly into the plant and relieve heat stress uh, within the plant through foliar. Absolutely. Okay, that's awesome. So, so um, you know, we it's so it's so complex about. I mean, you you just nonchalantly said go spray some some silica. You know, I mean, it takes a lot more. I mean, we you know you gotta get the right product ordered. And if, if you're organic, you got to make sure it's approved and all these things. But let's go back to the original scenario. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a farmer wanting to shift. Let's say it's today. It's, it's July. And, and, and what would you, you know, we're going to make it, let's just hone it all down. It's Midwest. It's July. I contact you. I'm probably a corn soybean rotation, maybe a cereal grain every once in a while, but pretty much corn soy, corn soy. And I want to do something. Yeah. What would you recommend? Um, in your ground for next year, or in the crops that you're growing today? To get ready for for some cover crops for next year's cash crop. Yeah, definitely analysis um, of whatever either is growing in the field, or if there's nothing growing in the field soil. Um, uh, you know, most most agronomists are going to mention soil testing as a, as a basic foundational practice before you sure. jump into any sort of modifications or large scale decisions. So um, certainly soil analysis. But one of the things we've learned over the years is actually, you know, the best soil analysis is a, is a really good plant analysis, right? Because the plant is going to tell you what the soil actually really does release or allow to, you know, make bubble up to the surface, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, you could have a soil test that's off the chart, but you've got plants that are dying because they're deficient in something because they can't they can't get that nutrient or that mineral or whatever it is into their system. I get that. So, yeah. so let's talk about this sap. I mean, we've heard a lot about it, and and I'm assuming, David, I, I have not looked this up, but I'm assuming it's an acronym for something. It's S capital S capital A capital P. Is that correct? No, it's actually not an acronym. Oh. To believe it okay. You know, people call it yeah sap analysis uh, because they're testing the the fluid of the plant and and they refer to it as sap. So okay. um, you know we refer to it as leaf uh, as leaf analysis or leaf extract analysis um, here. But you know there's a lot of other uh, uh, mostly overseas uh, labs that do this sap analysis as well, and that's what they that's kind of the you know rolls off the tongue nicely. Um, but yeah. it, it's almost a misnomer because. Um, you're testing more than just the sap, right? You're actually literally testing what's happening from uh, multiple different perspectives, right? It's what's in the soil, what's making it 
out of the soil, what's moved into the plant and what's able to move back through the plant up and back into the soil. Yeah. And so there's um, uh, much larger data sets than folks are typically dealing with than yeah. your traditional tissue analysis. Yeah. So, okay. So now Dave, I've done this before and I'll be, I'll be, op I'll be openly honest on, on where I've done this. I've done it with John Kemp and his company. Sure, okay. Yeah. John's so, brilliant. He's John's is an inspiration to us all. Oh, the most brilliant agronomist in the country. Oh, it's a, he's incredible. And, and yeah. you know, John very well, you guys oh, are very yeah. good friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, I think John's stuff, does it still go overseas? Are, are his samples going over? You know, I, I, uh, yes, they do send samples across to Holland, um, yeah. but there's a lot of consultants on his team that use our lab also. Okay, that's where I'm going with this. So yeah. what we got to understand here, folks, is, I mean, this, this testing has been around for a long time, but it's really kind of getting traction here in the United States. And David has a lab that can now take these samples, analyze it, and get you the results back. That's huge. So talk about talk about that. Yeah. So you know, um, since 2017, we've been processing uh, uh, leaf samples from around the country. Um, we've got a lot of information about how to submit samples on available on our website. Uh, over 50 crop specific sampling guides that show you different stages, growth stages of the plant which we recommend sampling and how to sample and what parts of the plant to sample, how much to include in a bag, how to pack those samples and so on. Um, but we, yeah, like I said, so, so since 2017, um, we started a lab here to really dig, dig into what is happening inside a plant from a mineral perspective through the fluid, not the dry tissue. Mm -hmm. And um, through that work, there, it's just been remarkable what we've learned about plant growth, development, uh, decay, um, performance, uh, development, and so on. And it's a huge resource for growers of all shapes and sizes and agronomists of all shapes and sizes. We serve both the regular grower and we also serve a number of other uh, agronomy firms, like I mentioned. And they're, you know, and in any given day, you walk into the office and there's boxes stacked, you know, up as tall as you, you know, two, three stacks of leaves that people have sent in from around the country. And so every day we get leaf samples in and we, you know, sort through them all. And then the following day we process all those samples. And then typically at the end of that day, uh, we uh, send out a large email blast to all the customers that have, uh, that, that whose samples arrived the previous day. Um, each sample, uh, we're typically recommending you include both a new leaf, and the old leaf of the sample in your submission. And through that data that we collect from both analyzing both the new leaf and the old leaf and comparing them to one another, um, a tremendous amount about uh, what's happening in the field and what to do about it to either improve your crop or otherwise um, uh, you know, get better plant response is, uh, is, is, is quite remarkable. There's a lot of information there and it's a great decision-making tool. Oh yeah. I, uh, I've seen one of those reports and it's, 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 it's loaded with information. So the other really cool thing here, Dave, and I know, I know you're, you're not sharing the, the data because it's, it's encrypted and it's safe and it's everyone. And I get that, but man, are you collecting some data points here? And I'll bet I'll, I'll, I'm willing to bet 
that you can start to look and see trends based on where you are geographically in the United States. You know, certain areas are going to be going to be deficient in phosphorus. Certain areas are going to be deficient in potassium. I'll bet you're starting to see those kind of build on this map that you're you're collecting. Yeah. So you know, we haven't actually fully started mapping everything into a region, but we do see specific um, geographic regions coming up with similar um, uh, results or problems that yeah. we've uncovered, right? So, you know, yeah. the home region of California or, you know, the cherry crops in Washington or, or yeah. you know, and so on and so forth. When a number of different growers send in, you know, the same, you know, same crop from a particular region, wheat, or, you know, I think I met, uh, we, we hung out up in, uh, in Eastern Washington last winter. A lot of those growers use the lab. We've, we've discovered some incredible trends um, and, and helped a lot of those guys uh, to improve their practice. They still got a ways to go, but there's um, significant uh, information that you can that you can gather about about a bioregion or yeah. um, a, how a specific crop is responding to that bioregion, or realistically, um, the crop programs that are being used to grow those those crops in a bioregion. All right, so so Dave, give us uh, again. Uh, we don't want names, don't want specifics here, but give us an example of a of a report that you've gotten that's fresh in your mind, and and tell us what was kind of wrong, and then what what are your recommendations then to move forward? Oh, um, yeah, to to pin it on one. Um, well, just just speaking generalities. I mean, you know, if you come up with a calcium. Efficiency. What do you right. recommend? Well, you know, you know, Rick. Um, this is this is probably the the part of the conversation where I'm going to diverge from the rest of the the uh, the, the folks and my peers. Mm -hmm. um, Good. Let's we go. See, we see that it's not the deficiencies that are causing the majority of the problems out there. No. The overfeeding of, of plants and overfertilization of plants is the primary um, uh, limitation of, of uh, crop performance, production, quality, uh, and so forth. Um, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming you're referring to synthetic inputs here, like... Uh, not in always, but yeah, that, that, that can be part of it. Um, okay. and, and when I say overfertilization, I'm, I'm being a little bit overgeneralistic, right? So um, I should back up a minute. It's more... Uh, and I talk about this a lot in my, in my presentations and stuff. Yeah. We refer to them as excesses, nutrient excesses or nutrient antagonisms. Uh, right. This, this, is a key, this is a key layer of what we've uncovered through the lab technology is that when plants have too much of one uh, nutrient or another, they have to do something with it, right? They, it, it's like they've been force fed and, and they, they have to process it in one way or another. And if they can't, release it back to the soil and have it digested by soil microbes, it's going to build up in the physiology. And strangely enough, it will be uh, encouraged and helpful to the plant to actually have uh, a third party come in and relieve that stress, such as an insect or a, or a pathogen. Oh. So um, what we're seeing is that uh, what we refer to as common excesses, such as sodium, chloride, aluminum, uh, that are that can be relatively common across all soils of all pHs, and then there's um, what we refer to as induced excesses, such as maybe over fertilization of synthetic nitrogen, like you mentioned, or potassium, 
um, or any other nutrient realistically in overabundance. Um, when the plant has an over, uh, you know, too much of one of those, it interferes with the intake of the other nutrients that the plant ah. needs to survive and develop. Is and that so a this, this more is better philosophy is 100% wrong. 100%. Yeah, I mean, when I, in my presentation, I talk about balance, and I'm always kind of thinking about balance as being too low, and let's bring it up to where we need to be. But you, I never thought about that. You know, the other you're we're out of balance because we're too high. Let's let's bring it down. So I I, I true I get what you're saying, and it, it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. We we see that as an opportunity to release energy, right? Yeah. So there's so there's energy that's locked up in the plant soil system, whether it's you know call it a say say it's a saline a saline stress issue, right? Sodium. Everybody knows that sodium is a problem for plants, but there's very few people that really dig into just how big of a problem that can be. And so uh, a lot of times we'll see, yeah, sodium, sodium goes up, EC in the soil follows, insects follow, uh, you know, height of the plant drops, you know, and, and, and then oftentimes people will try to outpace that excess with additions of additional fertilizer. That's been the traditional approach, yeah. right? Yeah. But nature gives you another opportunity to just lower the excess. And then as soon as you lower that excess uh, through, you know, say you're, it's a sodium excess through carbon application or desalination microbes or silicon, like we mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, those would be three strategies that you could use to lower your salt levels in a matter of hours and provide a uh, growth response within the plant without actually fertilizing. Yeah, you see, this is why I like this guy, folks. Because he will, he just told you, he just looked at a situation where there was high salt and he gave you three examples on how to bring that, 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 that down and make it to where now the plant can, let's say, breathe because it's just been in such excess. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. This is why I like you, Dave, because you've got ways to attack things. Like, you know, we're going to talk about foxtail. And you and I have had this talk many, many times. Foxtail is a problem in our system. So let's jump to foxtail real quick. What, what, and give, I know that's not enough of a window, but you and I have talked about this enough. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, you know, um, through studying of the plant fluids for a, a number of years, I've, it's, re, it's completely reframed the way that I look at uh, some of the quote unquote problems in ag systems, such as insects, diseases, and weeds. I see those as nature trying to relieve stress on that system now. And so, you know, we can let nature relieve the stress for us, or we can identify the stress around the same time nature would through the analysis and then try to try to perform that function in, a, in maybe in a, in a similar or different way. Right. And so, um, so like you said, so like foxtail, right. Um, you know, when we see, when we see the foxtail uh, out there in, in similar weeds that, that grow alongside it, um, oftentimes there's, you know, elevated sodium and potassium numbers in that in those blocks. And so, you know, I, ha I don't I don't necessarily have a um, fertilization or mineralization recipe to uh, decrease the growth rate of foxtail. But I can tell you definitively, Rick, that we 
we have, I have seen red root pigweed get completely smoked by a calcium by a calcium application. And I really? got 100% smoked. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we're talking red root pigweed, foot tall, you know, you know, no. three, three eighths of, a, yeah. of, an inch, of an inch stem, completely smoked. A fully so feeding application of a calcium product. Correct. Yep. 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 It was a, it was a really relatively heavy dose. Um, and it was in some strawberries and the, you know, the pigweed was just coming all, you know, it, it, it happened by accident, right? A lot of these, um, you know, some, sometimes nature shows you things sure. uh, by, by you're making a mistake. And so anyway, yeah, they, they put out a really high rate of calcium, uh, because it was late fall and they were planning to come back through with a, uh, with a spray over the top herbicide or even a hand crew at the tune of, you know, a couple hundred bucks to the acre. And, right. and the, the pigweed completely got smoked by a calcium application. You know, see, we, we know, we know this is, I mean, we, I've talked about this in my presentation. You talk about this in your presentation. We've got to create these, these, these cover crop packages of certain species, and we've got to bring in a biology package to run with it. And then it creates these environments that these weeds do not want to germinate in. I mean, we are so close here, Dave, and maybe you're already there. Maybe you can make a rec, you know, somebody sits down and says, Dave, you know, I'm a corn and soybean grower and I've got giant ragweed, I've got water hemp and I got mare's tail. What do I do? You know, take a leaf test. Yeah. 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 The leaf test tells you, you know, like I said, the leaf test tells you what, what the, what the plants can't digest. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, I can't say that we that we're at the point where we can fertilize the weeds away, but I have seen in a number of different situations where when we did thread the needle and the growers were aggressive with their with their mineralization efforts, yeah. that those did result in significantly reduced weed pressure. And I've seen that on a lot of different occasions, actually. Yeah, we're headed in. That's the direction we're headed in, and and um, oh shoot, I just lost what I was going to say. That's all right. Um, what, what about, what about, um, uh, I know you're a firm believer in biology. I know that. So do you have a, again, we gotta, we gotta be specific here because I, I can't just ask a general question because you're dealing with fruit trees, you know, nuts, probably corn, soybeans, yeah. wheat, vegetables. You got the whole gambit. You said 50 things you're, you've got. Yeah, it's, yeah. And counting. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Crazy. So can you come up with, uh, let's just talk about um, fruit trees for right now. Can you come up with a recommendation that these folks need to start implementing? You know, you're going to do this in, in February. You're going to do this in March. I mean, do you have it set up like that to help them? Yeah. So on our website, we actually have a whole lot of what we refer to as crop amendment programs on uh, the consulting section of our website. Okay. And those, uh, you know, we don't have every single crop up there, but there's probably 20 or 30. Um, and, and all the categories that you mentioned are, are covered there where we have uh, just generalized uh, input recommendations for those specific times of the year. Um, but to address your question directly, you know, in fruit trees, and you know, even in nuts, we see the biggest bang for the buck coming from the the times of the year when guys least want to do the applications, unfortunately, right? So post harvest mm -hmm. and um, uh, dormancy, dormant sprays. So okay. 
you know, a lot of these guys are doing dormant sprays for disease management and so on. Um, all, we have a lot of clients uh, that really believe after working with us for a few years about how much you, they can influence trees positively when they come out of dormancy by spraying them during dormancy. And you know, you always get the question, well, there's no leaves on the tree. You know, why are you going out there and spraying in the middle of winter? You're just yeah. throwing your money away, right? But the truth of the matter is, if you actually dig into the, what academic says about this, is that there's much larger pores on the trunk and the bark and yeah. the branches of the trees than there actually are on the leaf surface. So it's actually easier to get nutrients into the tree. It's just less surface area. See, that's beautiful. I mean, that's perfect then. So, so you could then, so you are trying to build, let's stay with the fruit trees. You're trying to build a system here where they can stop sp uh, spraying the pesticides and all these other things and creating a healthy environment that now the pests are not coming to this grove because there's no reason for them to come here. Yeah, so, you know, prime example, um, you know, I got a call yesterday from some uh, nut growers in California that we've been working with for about three years. And, and they said to me, they said, you know, um, after working with you guys for, for these three years, we're 100% confident that we can do everything we need to do with these trees with the exception of one thing, and we, or organically, right? We can do everything we need to do with these trees organically. We're ready to shift with the exception of one thing, and that's the weed management. Yeah. All the disease management, insect management, fertilization, nutrient management, overall crop health and yield has gone up um, uh, by using these types of uh, techniques. Um, but still, as everybody knows, the, the, you know, the elephant in the room is the weed management. And, and yeah. that's, that's a common challenge for us all. And you and I have talked about this uh, a few times. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's hard in our system here. I mean, we're, uh, we're trying to do... Alone. You're not alone. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to do this with no tillage, and we've done a little bit again this year. I, I, there's just there's just too many there's just too many obstacles right now. I uh, we don't have this even close to figured out, and I and anybody who says they do, they're not telling you the truth. But we got to keep moving forward, and 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 I love what you're doing, Dave. Um, Anybody out there that's got a question, please, please get it into the chat so we can get some get this man's brain unlocked here. Um, so let's go back to the sap. And I like this sap analysis. Okay. So no, for, let me back up even a little bit further. Okay. You've pulled in the soil, the soil test. You've got that data there. It's sitting over here on this side. Now you're going to go out and. Um, I'm assuming you can train people so that you don't, you don't either you personally or, or send someone to go pull these samples. You can do the training to the farmer and you're going to pull a new leaf and an old leaf. So talk about why, why are you doing that? Yeah, so, um, you know, in, in general plant physiology, the plants, you know, they, they uptake nutrients, they circulate them through their fit, their, their, their physiology right and um, and they do these in predictable patterns and so mm -hmm. by analyzing at the same time the the new leaf of the plant with the old leaf of the plant we're taking a snapshot of how that plant soil system is circulating nutrients from the soil to the plant and back and where the hang-ups and tie-ups are and where the opportunities are for unlocking 
the plant. Um, and so, so there's, you, you, it's not just double the data set. It's maybe three or four or five times the actual um, actionable intelligence. Yeah, that, that, this is great. I love this because, because it's, like, it's like you said, you can have the best soil analysis of, uh, you know, but your plant looks like crud and now you, you kind of know why. And, and you should see some change, right? I mean, you should see a difference from that old leaf to that new one. You should see differences. And, and then you can not only see the differences on that particular snapshot in time, but then when you come back and take another sap analysis off of another old leaf and another new leaf, it should be even different, right? Yeah, you can watch how the plant um, cycles through its own nutritional preferences, especially yeah. when left undisturbed. So say, you know, you have a, a, a fallow field that's growing, you know, something naturally, right? Buckwheat yeah. or whatever grows naturally in your region. And yeah. you just leave it undisturbed. You don't mess with it. You're not fertilizing it, doing nothing, anything. If you go out there and fertilize it you know, or, and sample it, you know, once uh, every week or two weeks through the season, you'll see remarkable changes with how the plants are actually moving nutrients and picking them up through the soil as it goes through its life cycle. So generally speaking, what we see is most plants, uh, they like early calcium, mid-stage magnesium, and late-stage potassium. That's mm. the way that most plants uh, seem to operate. Now, that's a significant overgeneralization, but when we've sampled uh, crops uh, undisturbed by man that uh, were allowed to just do their own fertilization through nature, that's what we've seen. They'll, they'll start with a calcium mobilization effort, then they'll start wow. with a magnesium mobilization effort, and then they'll finish with a potassium mobilization effort. That right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing to watch. Um, but the bigger thing, Rick, I think that we've uncovered too, and, and this is something I, I've also been really vocal about, is, is um, that when nature grows plants, she grows them in balance uh, for most of the nutrients that we're looking at. And, and this is a huge opportunity for us to learn from nature, right? So like when we go out and uh, I, I think I've given this uh, example in, in, uh, in some of my talks where, you know, I've got, uh, you know, we do a lot of berries out here in the Northwest, right? The big yeah. berry region. And for years, um, uh, you know, I've worked on some blackberry fields around here with our clients and, uh, phosphorus uptake in organics is a challenge in blackberries because they, they have to move nutrients, you know, down a 20 foot cane, right. In order to finish the fruit sometimes. Well, oh, I see. yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a field, I mean, I gave it my heart and soul sampling it, you know, hammering it with soft rock and fish and all these other things and trying to get the phosphorus levels up. And, you know, I would get them up reasonably and we'd get a good crop, but then I'd walk over, you know, one day I said, well, you know, let's just go over here and I'm going to sample the wild blackberries that are growing naturally, you know, 15 feet from the cultivated crop. Triple the phosphorus level, complete balance, insect resistance, <laughs> right? Right there. And nature's just doing it 15 yeah. feet away from where we are, you know, on a 60 acre block, uh, you know, foliar sprays every couple of weeks and, 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 and a really intense fertilization program. And, and I just sat there and I said, you know, gosh, I've got to learn from nature, right? And, and so all the nutrients when we sample plants in nature, they're very, very balanced in most yeah. elements from new leaf to old leaf. 
and the, the levels won't be necessarily extremely high, but they won't be low. You know? So nature knows how to get the job done without us, basically, is, is, the, is the sort of the moral of the story. And, I mean, all, um, we do is, all we do is muck it up. Maybe not entirely, but I think there's a real opportunity for, for, for learning and feedback with nature. And, and that's kind of what, that's the way I like to read the data and um, how I try to encourage other folks to look at the data because we find that if you do appreciate the data for the way that nature's uh, uh, describing it to you, that that's how you get regenerative organic without effort, right? So that's how you, what we refer to as sleepwalk into organics. Yeah. So you just, you're, you follow the fertilization program and the next thing, oh, you know, we didn't need that second insecticide or, you know, we didn't need that third fungicide. And then you do that for a long, you know, two, three years. And next thing you know, they're calling you on the phone saying we can do almost everything to shift into organic with the exception of the, the non-selective herbicides. That's got to make you feel just, wow. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, that's awesome. You know, we've been after this uh, repeatable results uh, concept for a number of years. Um, I, you know, as a grower and, 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 uh, and even when I was teaching, you know, I'd have uh, unpredictable results sometimes. You know, sometimes I would knock it out of the park and I, you know, um, do great things in the field. And then other years you'd just be sitting there scratching your head like I tried so hard, why didn't it work? Yeah. And, and it was that, that effort that I experienced, you know, you, you know, two, three, four years in a row as a grower. It's like, why didn't, you know, why did Hoop House A, you know, why did I make, you know, double the money than I did over in Hoop House B and it's growing the same, same tomato variety, right? Or all these little, little questions that you wonder about as, as any astute farmer would start asking themselves over time, you know, a lot of those can be unlocked and answered through the, through the plant analysis. Yeah. And you know, Dave, I've had, I've had those same, same thought that you've got, but only, I didn't think about the sap analysis. I've only done this on soil. So we've gone out taking what I would think would, you know, I'd go to my dad, Hey dad, take me to a spot on the farm that you can remember that's never been touched by, by humans. You know, where are we going to get some, in, get some inherent soil? Oh yeah. Let's test that soil. Let's send it to biomakers. Let's get a, 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 a biological essay. Let's do the whole nine yards. And then let's take a sample out of the fields that were in cash crops and let's compare the two results. We need to be doing the sap analysis of those same areas as well. I never thought about that until right now when you're talking about this. Yeah, you know, um, you bring up a great point. You know, sampling the, the, the undisturbed fields from nature is, I mean, it's just such an opportunity to learn how or undisturbed from man, right? And how nature would how nature would manage those those yeah. crops. It's, it's a it's a huge opportunity. Um, but yeah, we see a lot of a lot of information. Um, you know, kind of like a lot of other people out there. You know, before I uncovered the the leaf sap analysis, I you know I was in some really heavy duty uh, intensive cultivation efforts, right? So you know. Um, uh, you know, year on year in vegetables or, or greenhouse situations or um, year round greenhouse situations um, where you're, you know, you're planting crop on crop on crop and growers want to do it organic and they want, you know, consistent, consistent tonnage and, yeah. you know, your rotation options sometimes are maybe a little bit limited. You go, you know, you know, uh, uh, 
Solanacea to, to, to cucurbits back to Solanacea or, or something, you know, just that's not that great of a rotation. You're constantly hammering the soil. And, um, yeah. and the only way I found that I could really get consistent results, understand what was happening and, and, and provide the, you know, um, you know, best response to the customer or to the, the client that I might be working with would be through the analysis, honestly. Yeah. See, I, yeah, I, I've got to do more. We've got to do, we all need to do more of this. Um, and Dave and I have talked about this before and I'll, I'll be brutally honest with you folks. I have not signed up with Dave yet, but I, I am going to, we have talked about taking a field and, and I want to just take it and, and do, I'll do with it as Dave recommends. Um, I will do that, David. I, I haven't yet, but I will. Um, I think you br you've got so much knowledge and, and um, you, what you can really bring to the table is if someone does want to do that transition to regenerative organic, you can save them a lot of hiccups along the way because you've seen so many, so many things that if you do this, you don't understand if you over apply this one product you got three things over here gonna gonna go off the chart yeah right and that's, those are the things that you understand yeah you don't want to solve one problem and create three more right yeah and, and that's that's common when you're when you start to you know make changes on the farm um and, and even just you know or in a horticulture situation that we deal with a lot right um it's all of a sudden you're a conventional grower and you say, you know, you get to the end of the line and all of a sudden what happened, you know, whatever it is, you know, you have to make a change. All of a sudden everything changes. It's not just one thing as you probably learned when you were doing, doing your, yeah. doing your uh, 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 transition, right? It's not just one thing. You can't just say, well, we're going to stop synthetic or we're going to stop herbicides, right? It's, you, you know, you pull one string on that, on that sweater. And the next thing you know, you're, you're in a whole new world and you don't know how to get out. Yeah. The so whole this is, yeah. So like you said, that's really what we specialize in is, is helping yeah. to get growers to a place where they can make these results, uh, repeatable, regenerative, organic, um, um, because it's based on, on a lot. I mean, just incredible amounts of, uh, uh, you know, time on energy, yeah. research, uh, you know, experimentation, running samples, you know, trial and error, all these things have gone into what we have today here at Apical. And it's, um, you know, we just try to be uh, an efficient resource for growers that want to make a change. Yeah, I think it's awesome. So, you know, again, let's, let's just talk about a couple of things, you know, let's say your, your, your sap analysis comes back and You've already talked a little bit about sodium, so let's go to a different, uh, uh, what would be, um, let's say aluminum. Is aluminum one of the, the ones you look oh, at? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so aluminum is running high, okay? What, what would you, what are you going to do? What's the first thing David says we got to do? Well, um, it kind of depends on where you're at in the growth cycle of the plant, right? So, you know, we get people that come in that the aluminum is high, you know, halfway through picking, right? Or halfway through, you know, harvesting the crop. That's, that's a challenge, right? Um, but if aluminum is high, that's a general indicator that you need to look at the roots of the plant and the root health of the plant. Um, uh, aluminum 
you know, plants have mechanisms to keep aluminum out of their, of their system, but those, they get compromised due to soil compaction, overwatering, you know, poor soil health, acidic fertilizers and strong acids being put on the soil year over year, low pH, high oxidation. I mean, the list goes on, right? And so, um, but once aluminum gets into the plant, the plant has to be able to either complex it, get rid of it, or somehow or another process it. And uh, it's, it can be a real challenge. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, what's the first thing you might do if you're in the middle of the season, start hitting it with large doses of silicon in the foliar and hitting it with um, a, a, a strong biological package to the root zone with carbon, right? Try to get the roots healthy. Um, at the same time, you try to complex the, the what's actually in the plant at, the, at that moment. That would be the, the answer. So when you say uh, like a high carbon, you mean like a humic acid type product? Is that what you mean? Um, yeah, hum a humic might work or, or something even maybe a little bit more um, bioavailable. So like um, certain types of humics have been digested even further down to like say a fulvic acid type or a microcarbon or an organic acid or some sort, some sort of other um, okay. soluble carbon that the plant can feed. Because humic acid is going to feed more, you know, it's going to be more of a, a home for microbes in the soil. And there'll be small fractions that'll get broken off as food for microbes. But we want to feed carbon into the plant. Okay. Biochar would be another really, really good tool in, the, in that situation. Um, they're discovering, there's a lot of, a lot of researchers out there now um, uh, looking at doing studies on uh, biochar. And they're, they're, they've coined this new term recently in the last, I don't know, year or so called biochar dissolved carbon. Hmm. Um, and so it's actual carbon that gets solubilized that the plant can actually intake into its into its system mm. and so uh so yeah soluble carbon is a, is a key component that's missing in a lot of these ag systems so yeah well, we're gonna write that down too soluble carbon all right yeah, yeah. it's a, yeah you know i think i've i've talked out uh, i've spoken out about this quite a bit um you know carbon was lost when npk really hit the market right it, it became kind of the yesterday's news and no. Over time, uh, it's regained a little bit of favor, but I think now we're really seeing this sort of carbon renaissance within agriculture and it's um, to everybody's benefit because all those things that people talk about for, you know, insect and disease resistance or resilience, um, all those molecules, they come from carbon, right? So the plant has to uptake the carbon somewhere. And if it can't get it from the atmosphere, it has to get it from the soil. If there's no soil microbes to deliver it because they're depleted, then you have to deliver it directly to the plant. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the Haney test does a good job of that, right? They, they test for soluble carbon. I know you're a big supporter of, yeah. of Haney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like, I like Rick's test. I like it a lot. Um, but again, we have to remember any test, even that SAP test, whatever, that's a snapshot in time of what's happening. So I always tell people, you've got to put this data down and chart, you know, what is the, the, what direction is this uh, aluminum going? What direction is calcium going? You know, what are the trends? That's what I like to look at. What are the trends? So you have to collect this data and not only collect it, but then go back and, and look at it and, and use the data to, to then help your situation. Because the farmers need something else to do, right? 
Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they need but, one more thing to do. <laughs> but, but Dave, this is where you become valuable because you're right. There is, there is, that's just another thing I have to worry about. So let's let Apical take care of that for us. Yeah, we try to do a good job of that, right? So, you know, we do have our online uh, data storage platform, right? So any time you run a soil or leaf test with us, uh, every soil and leaf test that we've ever run, I think with the exception of a handful here and there, but um, they're all stored in our uh, online cloud-based database. So you're, you have your own profile. Every, every soil, leaf, water analysis that you've ever run with us is, is available there on your, on your profile. And you can compare and contrast those to other fields that are uh, under your management. And you can compare specific things. So you can compare potassium from field A to potassium from field B, or you know, you know, calcium in treated versus calcium in control, if you've got analysis on both of those. And so, so yeah, you, you brought that up. It's a really great point. Um, I think data now is becoming a, um, a bit more relevant to growers because it's becoming more accurate, right? And and as it does, it uh, you're seeing the you know the benefits of that. What what's doing to the industry? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got yeah. That it's. I mean, we all know data. 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 It makes you power. It gives you power. I mean, you can make decisions, good decisions. And like you're like you said, you're trying to get this repeatable. Okay, we know now that after you know we've done this for five or six years, this protocol works. You know that's what you're looking for, and you can only do that if you collect the data and look at the data. Um, we've got a question from Ludmila. Ludmila's on every week. How you doing this evening, Ludmila? Uh, she's a Ukrainian. Um, David, what do you think of the studies on soluble silicon foliar applications to deal with aluminum toxicity? Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you're reading up on those and uh, you get a gold star for the day because that's a fantastic line of research and it's extraordinarily valuable in the situations that we're dealing in uh, in today's agriculture. There's a lot of uh, metal stress generally, not just from aluminum, but from other metals out there. And um, foliar applications of soluble silicon have definitely been shown to alleviate the aluminum stress. Uh, there's just, I could, I could probably talk for a solid hour of, of, of problems that we see in the plant development due to aluminum. And so, um, yeah, soluble, soluble silicon and foliar is a fantastic uh, um, uh, solution to that problem. And there's some great studies out there the International Institute of Plant uh, Nutrition also agrees now that silicon is a beneficial plant nutrient. And there's a significant amount of research that's been devoted now to discovering just what, just how uh, beneficial it is. And we see just, I mean, there's almost no end to the benefits. It's rare that we see a plant that has, um, uh, you know, overabundance of silicon, rare. So, okay, so is silicon then one of those, remember earlier you said we don't want to add one thing and create three problems. I've heard you say silicon about six times, different yeah. times through this, this whole conversation. So it, silica must be pretty important here. It is, yeah. So, so um, silicon and soluble carbon we see as, as being lacking in almost every field we look at. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that's great. And she just came back and said, "You cannot overapply silicon." 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say you're right, probably about 95% of the time, but we have seen sometimes where um, uh, there's specific regions of the country where we where they just get crazy silicon levels and say in a silicon loving plant and it, and it, um, it takes all their micronutrients into the tank and mm -hmm. then they'll have to go out and they'll have to foliar a copper or something like that and they'll get a plant response from that. But um, but yeah, nine times out of 10, you're 100% correct. Yeah, so let, let me ask you this question then, Dave. So let's let's look at two different parts of the of the world or country. I don't care, it doesn't matter. So let's look at a part of the country that has um, let's say let's say high aluminum, and then you kind of now know what's gonna happen with that that growth of those plants. Then you go somewhere over here that has say high silica. Do you do you not you don't see the same problems, right? You're, you're because they're creating their own situation or problems. Yeah, they're going to be different. They're, they're, they'll, they'll be a, a completely different expression of uh, what the plant might look like. Um, and, and say you had a, a high silica, you know, say, say wine grapes, right? And you've got one with high silica and then another one with high aluminum. They'll right. be completely different, even if they're the same exact variety. And I assume they'll yield. They'll, they'll appear different to the naked eye. And they, they will appear different? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And I assume the yield is different. I assume the nutrient 100%. density yep. is different. Oh, yeah. Everything's different. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, the, that's kind of the, the, um, the frontier, right, is, is how do we fertilize appropriately, appropriately for maximum yield and nutrition simultaneously? that's the frontier that that you know we've got some thoughts on on how to bushwhack that frontier but we're not we don't necessarily have all the answers it's, yeah um, and, and and you know there's other other folks in the industry that are digging in into some of those topics and and we're in conversations with, with those groups yeah it's 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 a it's a fascinating time to be a an agronomist a biologist a farmer i mean all of the i mean this is oh, yeah. this is just this is crazy what we're doing. You know, it's it's a real privilege, like you said at the beginning, right? We're just completely um, it's an honor to be able to interact with plants in such a in such a way. Honestly, it's, uh, you know, for how many hundreds or thousands of years, you know, we've we've as a species, we've been in a situation where, oh, we'll have a crop failure and we don't know why. Right. And, and what does that mean for the economy or for the the community or for the farmer or for the consumer, mm -hmm. um, you know, not now, not only do we not necessarily have to experience the failure, but we can spot it ahead of time and, and take, you know, um, remediative action and get a better result. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the opportunities are just, um, it's, it's tremendous. And so, you know, from my perspective, it's like the guys that aren't embracing organic or regenerative, or at least, looking at it in one form or another are really missing the boat, right? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, okay, I, I, I will 100% agree that soluble fertilization and um, herbicides and insecticides help the population of Earth expand tremendously, right? But we're in a different place now as a species. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's time to start thinking of not so much about quantity, we've got to be thinking about quality. And and increase the quality of life around the world. That's that's what this is. That's where we're at. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all know that 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 you know fungicides and, and insecticides really just mask the problem that we that we can that we can solve now internally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got a question from Dusty here. Dusty, how you doing this evening? What's your thoughts on applications of dry or foliar sea salt, such as C90 or Redmond's? Um, I, for, so for foliar, um, I think you would need to be in probably a really high calcareous region, um, probably to, to need um, uh, additional sea salt. I mean, I do, we do see sometimes people have a really low base saturation sodium and we do see sodium deficiencies on the, on, in certain plants, but it's, um, pretty uncommon, you know, and, uh, I do think there's some trace element benefit to some of those products for sure. You know, like I eat Redmond salt, um, and on my food at home. Uh, so, but plants, you know, they, they need EC boosts here and there, but oftentimes I, I don't necessarily know that they, that they really require high sodium. Um, so there may be some situations, but we don't see them um, a, a lot. They, are, they do occur though. Yeah, okay, perfect. And, and we've got Matt here. Uh, Matt, I, I apologize if I botched your name. Uh, Matt Cohn, uh, what other widespread problems do you see besides lack of soluble carbon and toxicity? Um, you know, like I said, so, so over fertilization generally, um, uh, in combination with the natural excesses that the, that the, um, that you kind of touched on. So lack of soluble carbon or high, high aluminum or high sodium, uh, high chloride. Um, so in combination, that's really where we see things start to go out of balance. Right. And so it's, it's not necessarily that there's one excess or two excesses or one deficiency or two deficiencies It's that you have three excesses and four deficiencies simultaneously. Right. And, um, and then the, the excesses are making the deficiencies, um, much more magnified. And that it's that magnification that, that really, I think uh, that the plants and nature push back against and say, no, no, you should go a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And, um, Let's see, Ludmila came back. This is fascinating. I never knew there were plants capable, capable of uptaking uh, excess silicon. What is part of the country where plants assimilate too much silicon and why do you think it happens? Um, well, so again, like really low organic matter and lack of selective root uptake. Um, so that's, that would be one. Um, and so the, the ones that we've seen are in um, uh, the coastal regions of California. That's, that would be one place. Um, we've also seen where you've got heavy aluminosilicate clays, um, where the plant will actually uptake um, silicon and aluminum basically simultaneously as it cracks them apart in, this, in a sort of depleted blackberry field, old blackberry mm -hmm. field or something like that. Um, we've seen where the, the, the silicon will go through the roof, but the aluminum comes right with it. Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing. You want to put one, you know, the silicon high and the aluminum down. Yeah. But, but, but Dave, you know, let's go back a minute here. You said, I don't remember where you were. It doesn't matter. You went 15 feet over to a blackberry and did a, a sap analysis on that plant and you found things were balanced. So why, what's happened here? Why is the 
aluminum either a skyrocketing or tanking. I mean, what's happened here? What 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 have we as humans done to get this so far out of balance? Yeah, it's a good question, and I, I you know, and I spend a lot of time thinking about this. Um, uh, I don't have all the answers, right? I don't claim to, but I but I do see that certain things. Um, take us away from how nature's encouraging us to grow, grow crops, right? So um, when, we, when we break the, the, the communication between the plant and the, the soil microbes, that might be one. Okay. Uh, how that's done either through herbicides or um, strong acids, that, those would be probably the two primary ways that that happens. Um, so those would be uh, two situations. Um, uh, also, when uh, through, you know, year on year on year on year, heavy cropping of, uh, of, a, of a particular field, or even if it's annuals or perennials, they kind of have their own um, uh, manifestations of that problem. But you see over time in a, in a field like that, where, you know, the pH will, will you know, the, you're, say you're picking, you know, eight ton blackberries, right, which is a decent blackberry yield, yeah. then you do, you know, eight ton and then six ton and then five ton and then four ton and you watch the calcium go from you know 1600 1200 1000 800 600 right in 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 sequence and so the plants uptaking calcium but it's not being replenished as rapidly that would be one situation or not necessarily calcium but any nutrient um, we're taking more than we're giving back i think and, and that might be the the overarching uh, theme and you know, when we've looked at like, okay, well, how much do we need to get be give back, right? It just seems like nature wants 10 to 15%. It's mm. kind of what it seems like, you know? So for every, you know, 10 tons, you should give a ton back of something, right? Minerals or carbon or biochar or what compost or whatever you're, you're, you need to put back out. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty cool rule of thumb. I mean, that's easy to follow. It seems to hold right so but then but the, with the exception right of where you've gone well we haven't put anything on that field for 20 years right? yeah <laughs> so yeah. then where do you start um and i think even in those situations you know you're not going to have to do 20 times 10 percent right you might do you know double what you would normally have to do or you know 2.5x uh what you would what would have to do typically and yeah that, that's a that's a good start really yeah yeah. Now, one thing I do want to circle back on, I, I, my brain's working now. Um, I want I want people to understand that, you know, what Dave's doing here is regenerative and he's also doing organic. These two do not have to go together. OK, you can be regenerative and not be organic and vice versa, or you could be regenerative and organic. So don't get hung up on that you're thinking that you've got to be organic to be regenerative. That's not the case. I mean, Dave, I'm sure, has several customers that are trying to figure out how to go from way up here of inputs and at least drop 50% and let's continue to use some inputs, but let's think about how can we continue to reduce those. That's being regenerative. So they don't have to be tied together, but we would love for them to be tied together, but they don't have to be. Yeah, the hardest part I think I you know I mentioned is is the weed management, right? That's going to be the hardest part. Um, but we have a lot of people using the, using the systems that that are just trying to improve their crop. 
they're just trying to to take one step back from from you know um, their inputs you know because it's not just one input right it's the fertilizer and it's the fungicide and it's insecticides and it's the herbicides and you know right. the, the the most common um, uh, concern of farmers right now is input costs right and so so you know what we find is when you address those excesses you can reduce your inputs in and so you're you're taking a step in the direction with almost with very little risk right it's just you're making a slight change you're adding a little bit of a nutrient you never heard of to, to your crop program or you're, maybe you're just complexing your your nitrogen applications with carbon or maybe you just put a a, a fast solubilizing microbe or you know there's so many techniques and 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 uh, tools in the toolkit at this point that you know almost every system can make improvements. They don't, you don't have to eat the whole elephant all at once, right? right. You, can, you can, you know, nibble on the tail for a year and, and then see, see if you want to eat at the ear, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And you got to remember folks, you just can't, you just can't flip the switch and, and, and think this is all going to happen. This takes time and, and systems have got to be in place and, and all of these and collect the data and look at the data um ed bourgeois how you doing ed he's on almost every week too how do you determine if it's a soil microbes fix that's that's needed or or if you need to apply a mineral that's a good question yeah that is a really good question and so you know we're really adept at doing the mineral uh, analysis and identification and, and deficiencies across the board and so but what we do for biology is more inferences right so if, if high aluminum is there, chances are you're going to need to repair that root zone. That's a, that's a very um, scientifically grounded statement, right? Um, uh, but say you get into a situation where, you know, the aluminum isn't there, right? But you just need phosphorus um, and the plant's calling for phosphorus and you know that it needs it. But then you also, you know, you go back and look at your soil test and, you, and your soil test says, well, look at this, right? We got loads of phosphorus in the soil. Yeah, we can't access it because something else is happening. You know, that would be an example of an opportunity to, you know, apply a microbe to unlock the phosphorus, right? Or you might in, in our in our system, you might take that concept and then stack one other thing on top of it that would interfere with what's interfering with ah. the phosphorus, right? So ah. the enemy, my enemy is my friend. Yeah. Yeah, the old the old uh, uh, come around the the flank thing there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what do they call that? The pincher. Uh, yeah. The pincher uh, move or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's interesting. See, and and I I did not read this article the other day, but I, I just read the headline, and it was something about um, uh, introducing pathogens to make your to make your system stronger. But I did not. <laughs> You know what I'm talking? Did you see this article? I did not read. I didn't, I didn't but it's a, it's a, uh, yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds risky. It sounds extremely risky, doesn't it? Uh, I think we've tried that before with bringing certain uh, uh, prey in to take care of certain other problems, and then that prey becomes the problem after they've, after right. they've solved the problem you were trying to get rid of. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think there's, you know, there's definitely a lot of precedence for that in the microbial realm, right? So like trichoderma is a pretty aggressive predator. Um, for of soil microbes, right? So that you know they'll eat a lot of the other 
um, and they push around a lot of the other sort of you know negative pathogens and, and so on. But uh, I don't know that I would get really into that. I, I, I would maybe focus a little bit more grounded in science. You know, there's there's so much out there. You know, everything we've done here at Apical has been grounded in science and 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 documented and peer reviewed stuff. At, at its core. Now, from there, we branched off into things that, that we can't find any other precedents for. But there's there's so much that's already been researched academically through, you know, for biological amendments, microbes, uh, uh, carbon-based fertilization, uh, you know, silicon, uh, nutrient toxicities, uh, nutrient antagonism, sap testing, all of these things. There's there's loads and loads and loads of research from, uh, you know, agronomy or plant science or horticulture journals across the across the world. And that's really what um, uh, a lot of our, our um, approach has been uh, grounded in and, and, and based on is that there is this plethora of new techniques, technology, um, applications, inputs, mineral mineral uh, uh, selections that are uh, that are affecting plants, soils, crops in really profound ways and it's it's on us if we don't if if we don't take advantage of that it's really and so you know that's part of what i what i do um is go around and really try to spread that message like the opportunity is now there the pressures are immense on farmers across the country and around the world and these techniques and technologies um both from the analysis as well as the applications and and uh, data delivery is all there to help you and so you know um uh, use what take what what can help you and leave the rest but don't let uh don't be intimidated right like don't let that sort of thing get you down or slow you down just try a little bit here and there and, and try to find somebody that that you get along with that can support you because there's there's a lot more resources now than there ever was you know you know 20 years ago you know when i was doing farm management and and, and so forth like it was so much more challenging because we didn't have a lot of these resources. You know? Yeah, I had a four, a five element soil test or something that I could get, and that was yeah. all I had. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, we're on a whole nother. Hey, level. we got to add more N, P, and K. We'll be fine, right? That moron approach is, is yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, I want to ask a very specific question here. Um, what uh, and this is a risk that we run because we don't use any seed treatments. What about like something like fusarium? Um, first of all, why is it why is it there? And secondly, can you get rid of it? Oh yeah, you're putting me on the spot here a little bit. So um, yeah, fusarium is is um, uh, in the fields where we've seen fusarium come in. They had uh, relatively poor drainage. Um, yeah, okay. a, good, a good amount of, um, you know, a lot of cult, they'd been through a, a significant amount of cultivation um, and, uh, and then had deficiencies in available phosphorus combined with excesses of chloride and sodium. Okay. Uh, we've seen those from a mineral perspective. There's that sodium again. It, it, it seems. Is. Yeah, I know. It pops up a lot. It does. It does. And this was one, you know, this is, has been one of the, the, the ways that we've, that we've come to these conclusions, right? That there's a lot of problems being caused by excesses in the plant um, is by, you know, okay, well, let's go to this field that's got fusarium in, we'll run a leaf sample, right? Or somebody sends in a leaf sample and it says, you know, 
insect or disease in the, in the, um, in the field, insect mm -hmm. or disease pressure, and it says fusarium on it. And then you look at the, the data report, and, and this is what you see. So, um, so you know, there's a lot of challenge um, uh, from, from, those, uh, from those two uh, 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 basic vectors with fusarium. But obviously, it's a microbe, right? And so it's going to have its own um, predisposition to grow in, in a certain type of environment. That's okay. what we've seen a couple of dots connected there. But then what to do about it? You know, can you fix it? Um, you know, the traditional research, uh, it will say no or, or maybe, probably not sort of thing. Um, and, and I would say, you know, with traditional approaches, yeah, they're right. But yeah. when you start to get off the page a little bit into, um, you know, really digging into the hood, under the hood of where the problem comes from. Okay, well, yeah, so we see, yeah, it might have, you know, three or 5% base saturation sodium in the soil, as well as, a, you know, maybe take a malic 3 FOS number there at 40 ppm or something like that, pretty low. Yeah. Um, and those would be two, two, two numbers. And then, you, and then you say, okay, well, now let's compare that to what the plant tells us, right? So then the plant tells you, yeah, the sodium's to the moon, it's 300% you know, above average. And then the, the aluminum then is, you know, it's 600% above average, right? So then all of a sudden you're like, well, what would happen to the field if we applied phosphorus, lowered sodium, and then applied a, a, a microbial package to compete with those, those microbes that are out there. So we had a situation exactly like this uh, uh, two or maybe three years ago. And, and again, in strawberries, you know, we do so much work in, in berries out here and fusarium and strawberries. I mean, guys will tell you, push the field out, right? Yeah, just, just push it yeah. out. So, so um, uh, and, you know, in this particular field, it was, um, it was a progression, right? It started as a, a, a wireworm mm. and continued later as, as fusarium. Oh, and when we had it tested, it actually came back. We had it tested for uh, disease presence, and it came back as as um, not just fusarium, but it, I think I believe it had uh, Phytophthora as well. Okay. And and so what we did is we applied a um, you know we we tested the plants and we said okay yeah it's high sodium so what did we do so we applied silicon soft rock soluble carbon microbes. And maybe I don't even know. Maybe a little bit of cobalt or something else um, in there. Uh, and but we split the field in half. This was the this is the this was the, the the grower said, well, you know, I don't want to throw throw good money after bad here. And and so we said, all right, well, first of all, we won't make you throw good money after bad. We'll we'll sponsor this application, right? I think it was like maybe like a forty acre block, and we and, I, and they split it down the middle. And uh, and part of the field was was doing reasonably well at that time, but half of the field was, the, you know, not to get too deep in the weeds, the field had been, uh, had, that half of the field had a, had a history of some other uh, previous crop that had fusarium yeah. in it. Anyway, so long story short, we didn't treat the good half of the field. We treated the bad half of the field with what I mentioned, and that at the end of the year, the good half of the field was the bad half, and the bad half was the good half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you didn't, and then I assume you tested again and was the fusarium either, it may be not gone, but back in balance then? Yeah. So you could still find it out there, but the visual expression um, uh, in, yeah. in that half of the field was significantly decreased. 
Yeah. Oh, that's, in, that's incredible. That's yeah, just... you know, it, I mean, it was it was a really it was a really remarkable um, uh, uh, trial, actually, because you know, again, we took the bad to the good, and good and the good went to the good went to bad with uh, left to its own devices. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, and, and see, fusarium, um, it's soil-borne, obviously, and, and that, that, to me, worries me, because then if you, if you should get that out of balance, how in the world are you going to reverse that? And, and you just did a great job of explaining that. And one thing, one else thing I want to mention to this, Dave, is... I've often, I've not done a lot of SAP testing. You've obviously done way more than I've done, but I've actually SAP tested weeds, the leaves. Yeah, 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 yeah. And let the weeds tell you why are they so prevalent here? There's something in the, the combination of why that giant ragweed wants to grow right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying a minute ago, um, you know, I kind of see that the insects, weeds, and and uh, and diseases are there to relieve stress on the plant soil system. Uh, I know it's kind of a, a weird thing, weird way to, to look at it, but um, after looking at thousands of sap tests and you know just hundreds of fields all the time, yeah. uh, that's kind of the way I see it. Right? We see the stress in the in the leaf data. We see the in, we see the subsequent pressure come in with you know in, you know uh, you know pests or whatever. And then you can relieve that stress through, you know, minerals or microbes or a combination of, and then you see the pests go away. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 it's really remarkable. And, you know, I know John Kemp really, he, he's one of the best at, um, uh, at describing those experiences that he's seen over the years that were foundational for, for, for AEA and their company. And we see the same thing all the time, all over the place. And, you know, I personally last, last fall, in my in my home uh, in my home cultivation, I had broccoli plant literally not just you know ten feet away from each other, but literally eighteen inches from one another. One had aph was covered in aphids, and the other one was just just you know just ripping. And and when I and when I took those and analyzed them, this one here, I don't know for whatever reason, like something happened where the maybe it was a little bit of compaction or something like that but the aluminum had gone crazy and the sodium had gone crazy in this one and this one was fine but it was they were literally right next to each other um that's crazy yeah i know it's just it you know it, it, the, the the theories about oh well you know all insects uh, are going to attack all plants you know, evenly and so on. That's just, it's just not the case, right? The weak plants definitely get picked off. Well, yeah, I mean, it's no different in livestock. I mean, we've got cattle and, and you will inherently have three or four cows that all the flies go to them and you'll have, you'll have other cows that don't even, their tail never swishes because the flies never bother them. Yeah, and I mean, that's, it's, it's just a, you know, it's uh, until you understand why of the situation, right? It's just going to drive you crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Lude Mile is back. What do you think of wallets tonight? If if you use it, how do you apply it? I hope I said that correctly. Wallace tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're big on a lot of the the the, the soil minerals. Well, last tonight is a fantastic soil mineral amendment. Um, we're, we're huge fans of it. We sell it on our website. Um, uh, we use it in a few different ways. So uh, we use it in bulk dry applications uh, in the fall, typically as a soil amendment. 
Um, that is a really nice uh, application, you know, anywhere from, you know, 50 to up to a thousand pounds per acre, somewhere in there. Um, it, it's, it does have a liming effect, um, but instead of having, you know, uh, calcium combined with a carbonate molecule, it's calcium combined with a silicate molecule. And so you actually have, um, I don't know, maybe double or triple the, the lifting power um, of, that, uh, of that particular mineral. So we really like that one. Uh, in that situation. We also use it in, in what we refer to as mineral colloid buffering. So um, it doesn't necessarily work as well in, in dryland regions, but for guys that are on pivots or have drip irrigation, um, they'll run maybe anywhere from like, you know, a pound to 10 pounds of a, of a micronized uh, wolastonite through irrigation. And we see that as having a positive plant response in season. So you can make um, uh, positive plant, plants move in a positive direction, move the calcium up and the silica down um, through that method. So you take a dry powder, one to 10 pounds per acre, run it through your irrigation. And then last but not least, uh, using it as a foliar spray. So, um, you know, it's a little bit trickier of a mineral being calcium based to try to get it into the plant's physiology. So you have to take it down to a really low um, micron size and basically clay particle or smaller size. Um, but there's a couple of different uh, liquid suspensions that we have on, uh, on our website that use uh, calcium silicate in there and the wolastonite material. That's awesome. That, that, that's, that's just awesome. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you guys have never been to our website, I'd encourage your audience to just poke around on there. There's, I mean, we have a reading room with, I don't know, 50 or 60 different uh, academic topics that have been reviewed that are all relevant to regenerative ag. Um, our YouTube channel has uh, a lot of uh, uh, recorded clips of our, of our webinar series, uh, New Paradigm of Crop Nutrition that we did this past winter. Um, there's, uh, you know, sampling guides, crop programs, uh, technical guides. Uh, you know, we really do uh, the best we can to try to educate folks um, and to the, the new opportunities that are out there to improve crops. Yeah, that's why I wanted you on the show. I mean, they, it's just incredible what you're doing out there, David. It, it, it's amazing. And the knowledge that you, I mean, you were ripping things up. You had no notes in front of you. It's just, you're really into what you do. And I, I appreciate that. I really do. Well, I really uh, appreciate you bringing me on. You know, I, I've, I've lived this for, for over 20 years. You know, I, my, I grew up as a young kid you know, growing crops organically. And then, you know, when I um, uh, got to be an adult, I, I wondered why more people weren't doing it. And um, so I figured it out over the years why more people weren't. Um, um, and uh, but so, yeah, it's really just been my life's work to, to try to um, improve the techniques that we have here in this country and and beyond. Um, and so, yeah, if there's anything that, that we can help uh, your audience with, you know, we're more than happy. We've got a great staff here. Apical, we try to turn our results around as fast as we can because we know that the that at critical times of the year, um, uh, you know, it, it, you really need that data to make improvements in your crops. And so, you know, we're really here to help. Right. Yeah. Um, well, Ludmile is back again. How do you keep micronized Wally from settling on the bottom of the spray tank without constantly recirculating the suspension? Um, so, yeah, you need to have a really good um, process material. Uh, you do need to keep it under constant agitation. And, and the last thing would be you have to have the appropriate ratio of, um, you know, injectable material to water in suspension. So in other, like we use, we use the typically like um, for, for uh, you know, for sprinkler irrigation or something like that, we'll do, um, you know, one pound of material per five gallons of water in your mixed tank. You know, that's a pretty good ratio to do. 
Yeah. But you've got to keep it, you've got to keep it agitating. Yeah, you have to keep agitation. Yeah, you do have to keep agitation. It will want to settle out. Um, the liquid suspension material will, will, will settle out, but it's going to take a heck of a lot longer. It may take 24 hours or so. Um, so that one is a, a little bit uh, easier to work with. And it is more expensive, but it, it, it's easier to work with and has less settling. Um, yeah. you know, there's other techniques you can use there, you know, um, you know, surfactants, or you can, you know, try to put carbon in the tank with it. And some of that might work a little bit, um, but last night, you know, silicon and, and calcium, you know, they, they will want to settle out. So we do recommend appropriate dilution strength and um, constant agitation. Yeah. But we've had guys use, you know, the, the, the micronized powders, run them through all kinds of different sprayers. Um, if they stick to those principles, you know, one to five on, a, on an injection or one to 10, uh, one pound per 10 gallons of water in a, in a foliar spray or something that, um, uh, you know, they are designed, uh, you know, they're less than 10 microns or less than, less than three in some cases. So they will go through almost any sprayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now Dave, I, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to pick everything we've talked about here, but for the most part, are your products that you're recommending Omri approves then? So, so it's all good to go for organic folks, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, so we have an online uh, store um, where we sell all of our products. You don't have to buy them through there. You can call our, our staff on the phone if you like, but um, we do, you can order them in the middle of the night if, if that's the way you like to do it. Um, but yeah, so we have, uh, I think it's like over 60 or 70 um, listed products on our website and there's maybe two or three that are non. Um, okay. And the two or three that are non are for the more regenerative uh, folks. Uh, we are, you know, starting to carry a little bit more of the non-certified um, stuff that's more regenerative. But my background has been organics for so long that um, I want guys to get a better price, right? Yeah. And, and as you know, you can get a better price in organics and it's possible to get there, right? Um, so I'd like to encourage that to the extent possible, but I know it's not possible for everyone. That yeah. said, we, we carry so many products that are organic certified if you start utilizing them the way that we're intending, you'll get to that point where, like I described, our, our previous clients are, are are now where, yeah, we've done this for three years. We're ready to go. Like, yeah. we can do this now. And, and the, because it builds your confidence and you've seen the you've seen the problems, you've solved the problems, you've seen it with your own eyes. Right. That's what people, are, I think, are missing. And a lot of times, Rick, is that, you know, they they, they hear these stories and they hear about so and so and. Uh, but to actually see it with their own eyes and experience it um, is really what 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 it, makes the difference. Yeah, it's life changing. Yeah, 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 it is. Well, well, folks, we're getting we're going to wrap this up. So if you've got any last minute questions, now's the time. Uh, wow, Dave, this this has been awesome. Um, we had some very good uh, interaction with the audience there. Uh, this is what I like to do. I like to, to, to get folks on here like you, you know, try to get more exposure. You're a very knowledgeable individual. People need to be utilizing your resources more. Um, it's been a pleasure, and, and I thank you so much for coming on here this evening. Rick, thank you so much for having me. It's been a really good time. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking with you every time I get to see you. So hopefully I'll get to see you at one of these conferences here soon. And, uh, um, uh, you know, I'm hoping to actually get to the Midwest here uh, before the two, we get too deep in the fall. So if I get out that way, I'll be sure to let you know.
Yeah, you look me up. I'd love to love to visit with you. Yeah. Well, I don't see any more questions coming in, so that's great. Um, we obviously did a good job, Dave. We got all their we got all their questions answered. So. <laughs> well, yeah. So you know, when when the questions start uh, it's scratching at the back of your head in the middle of the night, feel free to. Yeah. To us. Um, I think they got our website here and yeah, we're here to help. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, apical hyphen ag.com. That's it. Um, look him up guys. You'll, you'll, this is, this is a, this is a good one right here. So David, thank you. Uh, good luck the rest of summer and, uh, thanks again for being on. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Rick. Thank you so much. And, and we'll see if we can send some rain your way. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.